Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 140 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed the barn burner that wasn't of our NFL regular season opener, but hey, that's just the way it is. We talked about it in the last episode, and well, I'm going to cut myself a little bit of slack here because I really, really... I mean, if you listen back to it, I wanted to pick Buffalo, but I, I got in my head with the numbers, and I said, well, you know, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's real hard to beat the defending champs in their in their opener, and I, I talked myself into it, as only I can do, if we're being completely honest. And, uh, well, let's just say, if you watch the game, the scoreboard told the story. And uh, at halftime, the scoreboard probably didn't tell the story, because this is a game, and by the way, let's get right in with my standout seven, as is tradition on the program. Number one on standout seven is going to be this Rams loss to the Buffalo Bills, and then we'll get into some other stuff, obviously, as is implied by the fact that there are seven topics. But neither here nor there, let's get back to it. 10-10 at halftime, and we're talking a fumble from James Cook on his first carry, we're talking an interception that was not the fault of Josh Allen. Um, and then the other interception just prior to halftime, I believe, for Troy Hill of the Rams, which was a pretty darn good play for, you know, a defense that uh, in the second half seemed that, well, they need some guys to step up and be playmakers because one of their biggest playmakers in Von Miller was suiting up for the other team. And let's just say for some reason, I don't I don't really know why, it's, it's not like he's going back to Denver you know, to play a, a quote-unquote revenge game or a return game. I mean, the guy was a Ram for a handful of months. He was a Ram for as long as I was a resident of the state of Pennsylvania back in 2020. You know, I mean, things didn't work out for either of us, and we moved our separate ways. Granted, he got a ring, and, well, while I enjoyed my time doing what I was doing down in Pennsylvania, let's just say I'm not walking around with a uh, however-many-carat diamond ring on my finger. Um... Yeah, Von Miller looked great. Two sacks in this one. The pass rush for the Bills looked great. And I'm going to I'm gonna cop out on this one. One of the bigger losses for the LA Rams that I did not factor in because it just slipped my mind. Granted, I'm going to be preparing, waiting for football season, but I guess you wait long enough and things start to fade. It slipped my mind that they were replacing Andrew Whitworth left tackle, and that's a genuine oversight by me. Would that have changed my pick? No. Like I said, I had talked myself in to the LA Rams winning this game. And yeah, it just wasn't there. Let's, you know, we'll go through blow by blow here just from my notes on the game. Taking notes live as I usually do. Um, first drive of the season, Buffalo walks down the field. If you were gambling on this game with, I believe it was DraftKings... If the team you bet on Moneyline went up seven points, you cashed immediately. So for everybody that bet the favorite, well, you got to rest on your bet the rest of the night. Um, and my notes just simply say this team could be scary. Um, L.A. winds up with a pick, couldn't capitalize, they force a fumble, Matt Stafford threw it right back. For some reason, this was my interpretation, and, and look, I heard the commentary team bring it up, well, Buffalo had trouble stopping the run last year. I mean... Is that what cost them? Because when I watched them lose to the Kansas City Chiefs, they had trouble stopping the pass. And last time I checked, their best corner, Tredavious White, was not available for this game. So, 
I'm not really sure why that was the game plan. Uh, is it one of those things where, oh, they're going to expect us. We got Allen Robinson and, you know, Tyler Higby's, you know, A-OK -okay at tight end because he was hurt towards the tail end of that playoff run. And Cooper Cup, he's that dude. Let, let's see what we could do with Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers. Well, Cam Akers got the ball three times for no yards. And Daryl Henderson looked all right in spurts, but it, I, I don't know. I don't know why that was. Was it a ball control attempt? Were they thinking, we're going to give up some points here, so we're going to need to put the ball on the ground? I I say this not disrespectfully, but, I mean, come on. Come on now, Sean. Sean McVay is a much smarter football mind than I will ever be. He's forgotten more about the game. Well, actually, he doesn't forget much at all. He remembers all the plays. But the, the old adage is he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. I don't think that was necessarily the wise approach, and I think that should have become a little bit clear early enough. Um, I don't really understand how Allen Robinson walks out of this game one catch for 12 yards. Look, I'm not saying Allen Robinson. I'm not flipping on my Allen Robinson narrative. If you haven't been here, I'll fill you in. If you have, thanks for being here. But when he was in Chicago and people were saying, he's great, he's, you know, he's a Ferrari in the garage of a trailer park. And I'm like, eh. I mean, he's good, but like, eh. He's all right. That's all I got. He's all right. He's nothing insane. And uh, here I am flashing forward. Now I'm the one saying, well, why aren't they giving it to Allen Robinson? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. This offense did not look great. Cooper Cup got his. He always does. 13 catches for a buck 28 with a touchdown. Um, the deep shots just weren't really there. There was one that was way off target, at least one, if not two. Um, the final interception before it was really, you know, game over. Over the middle, high throw to Cup, tries to get a hand on it. I think he might have tipped it, winds up intercepted. Three picks for Matt Stafford. I'm not putting a lot of stock into the fact that, oh, he led the league in interceptions last year. Towards the tail end of the season, he kind of petered off um, in terms of his productivity. But when the playoffs came, he was Matt Stafford, and they walked away with a championship ring. So how mad can you really be? Combine that with the fact that um, as we pivot into a little bit, number two of the standout seven, it was unveiled during the last week that Matthew Stafford had off-season surgery. That at least I, or maybe we, I assume, including you listening right now, didn't know was a thing. We knew he had the issue with a little bit of tenderness or soreness or whatever, and they were like, oh, he'll be okay. All right, fine. Okay. But now you're telling me not only was there soreness, not only was there discomfort, but now you're telling me that that is partially perhaps stemming from, you know, the surgery that he had? That makes me a little weary from the perspective of a guy that, you know, just picked the Rams to repeat as uh, NFL champions. So, alright. I mean, we'll give it time. Things need to develop. Obviously, there's a reason midseason form is the goal that people always talk about. Oh, they're in midseason form takes time for chemistry and things like that. These, You know, Matt Stafford has never played with um, Allen Robinson, unless maybe they cross pass at a Pro Bowl here or there. But neither here nor there. Here we are. Um, it looked bad. We'll keep going for blow for blow here. Um, a big fourth down attempt relatively early in this game prior to halftime, and Cooper Cup gets stood up. The offensive line bowled him over to make it make it a first down, 
I thought it was fascinating. I mean, they're down at that point 10 nothing, and they're getting the ball at half. I don't hate the idea of kicking the field goal there, but I guess why not be aggressive? It worked. You know what I mean? It looked to me like Sean McVay was running up the sideline and had called timeout, but I guess I'm mistaken. You know what? Fair enough. Um, <laughs> kind of interesting. This was just as we get into the second half, the notes become less frequent because the things started to really go Buffalo's way. And uh, I just want to say everybody dunking on Jalen Ramsey, I completely understand. Because I thought Jalen Ramsey would have more of an impact in this game than he did. I'm not saying Jalen Ramsey's, you know, still a top two, three, whatever corner in this league. But I would say he's probably in the A tier, if not still the S tier, depending on which day you catch me on. So I was kind of shocked that he didn't really make the plays. Troy Hill made that one interception. Obviously, you catch an interception, they're going to say it's a great day. But no, that was probably one of the better defensive plays they made, period. And, you know, Jalen Ramsey was doing a lot of tackling. And when you're playing corner, not really what you're out there to do. So, it is what it is. That being said, you know, is this concern time if you're a Ram fan? No. Is this buy Super Bowl tickets times if you're a Bills fan? I would say no, but you know, start start and putting a little bit more money in that in that jar over the fridge for the Super Bowl tickets because that is a good team in my opinion that they just made look foolish for the most part on their home turf on their day, the day the league is celebrating them. You take a look just to go through here. Josh Allen 26 of 31, 297, just a hair under 3 bills. Three touchdowns, two interceptions, one with a great play from Troy Hill, the other on a ball that was just juggled and turned into an interception. So realistically, we could have been looking at 26-31, three touchdowns, no turnovers. He was their leading rusher again, which is moderately concerning to me. You know, Devin Singletary looked pretty good, eight carries for 48. Zach Moss, eh, nothing crazy. Change of pace. Um, Allen runs for 56 and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs did Stephon Diggs things. Buck 20 and a touchdown, the long touchdown later in the game. Um, I think that was the one to put it to 31-10. Gabriel Davis, of course, scored a touchdown. I talked about before. Oh, well, Gabriel Davis is going to score four touchdowns in this game. Nobody had 88 yards and a touchdown. He looked pretty darn good himself. Surprised we didn't see much out of Dawson Knox. Surprised we didn't see much out of either tight end. But I think some of that is respect for, you know, the safeties and linebackers, I guess. I mean, Bobby Wagner on the other side, one of the better linebackers in the league. But, I mean, the tight end matchup nightmare line has been used so damn often that I, I don't know. It's a little weird to me. But neither here nor there, folks. Um, a little bit of a blasé season opener. But at the same time, kind of Buffalo's a chance. <clears throat> excuse me. Buffalo's chance to announce themselves just in case anyone thought, ah, you know, that Chiefs playoff game was a fluke. Now, this team is legit one of the top four, if not top one, teams in the NFL coming into this season. And that became abundantly clear. Number three in the standout seven. Very rare to hit three at 11 minutes into the episode. You know, we're pacing well. We're excited for the picks. Let's get into number three in the standout seven because this one is kind of... uh. Kind of spicy to me. 
So there was a report that there's some drama involving Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. Now, obviously, when your star quarterback winds up on another football team, you can assume the relationship there was not perfect. Otherwise, theoretically at least, things could have been worked out or, you know. I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers is still a Packer, so anything's possible. Now, that being said, here's what I jotted down from what I read. Do yourself a favor. Look up Russell Wilson, Seattle drama, or Russell Wilson and any of these accusations or reports or rumors I'm going to tell you about. Give it a read. It's kind of an interesting one. So, Russell Wilson was reportedly mad about not winning the MVP in 2019, which is fair. It's a little clear that he has the chip on his shoulder because he believes he deserved to win an MVP at some point in one of these years. Okay, fair enough. Um, 2019 is the year that was picked out when I saw the alert from Bleacher Report, and supposedly there was some blame being cast on Pete Carroll. Now, if you remember, at the end of that season, Russell Wilson ended with 31 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 4,110 passing yards, and he was sacked 48 times, by the way. Um, which is a lot. I mean, he was sacked over 40 times almost every season that he was in Seattle. Let that sink in. I mean, I know he extends plays and things like that, but that's a lot. So I'm wondering here, what's what's his argument? Because you take a look at the statistics. 31 touchdowns to 5 picks. This is the year Lamar Jackson wins MVP with 100% of the votes per pro football reference. So, Russell goes 44-50, combined all-purpose yards, 34 touchdowns, 5 picks. Lamar Jackson goes 4,300, 43 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. He's also a quarterback to run for 1,200 yards. So, I don't really understand what the issue is here. It's also, I mean, is it one of these things? His team went 13-2 and two with him as a starter, and Russell's team with him as a starter goes 11-5. and five. That does play in when you are the quarterback, right? Unless you're putting up redonkulous stats. Um, I don't really know. Russell winds up fifth in the Offensive Player of the Year voting that year. Michael Thomas wins it 1,700 receiving yards, nine touchdowns. Lamar Jackson comes in second. You could make the argument Lamar Jackson should have won it. Quarterback running for 1,200 yards. McCaffrey ends up in third with a 1K, 1K season, rushing and receiving, and 19 touchdowns. So, I don't know. I get that he wants an MVP. And he wanted that one more than any other, I guess. If you take a look at the schedule here, coming into week 14 of that season... They were sitting at 10-2. and two. They lose to the Rams on the road. They beat Carolina. They lose to Arizona and San Francisco at home to end the season. Okay, so he puts that on Pete Carroll, I guess. Um, we take a look at the game log here as we peruse back into 2019. So Russell goes in the uh, loss to the Rams, 22-36 with... 245 passing yards, no touchdowns, one interception. This is the Jared Goff-led Rams, remember. This is not in the, obviously, in the Stafford era. This is back in 2019. Um, okay, so they lose that one. 
The next game, Russell goes 20 of 26, 286, two touchdowns, right? That's the game that they won against Carolina. It's a pretty solid game out of Russ. The next game, Russ goes 16 of 31 for 169, and he's sacked five times. Uh, they combined to rush for under 100 yards with Carson Moore, Hol uh, Travis Homer, and C.J. Proceis in a game that they lose to the Arizona Cardinals, who entered that game at 4-9-1 with Kyler Murray at QB. Kyler Murray throws for a buck 18 in this game, and at one point, Brett Hundley is in the game quarterback, and Kenyon Drake rushes for a buck 66. Okay. The following game, Russ goes for 233, two touchdowns, and gets outdueled by Jimmy Garoppolo, who has about a 90% completion percentage at 18 for 22, 285, no touchdowns. All their touchdowns come on the ground. One for Debo Samuel, two for Raheem Mostert, and they lose 26-21 to the San Francisco 49ers, who, oh, by the way, in this 2019 season, went on to lose the Super Bowl. So there's no shame in losing that game. I'm not really clear on why the blame would go on Pete Carroll. Now, look, this is unsubstantiated. Russell's not going to come out and publicly say, at least to my knowledge, hey, hey, I have beef with Pete Carroll. I have beef with the old man. That's why I wanted out of there. No, it's, you know, to, to go back to what I said before, you were the Ferrari parked in the garage at the trailer park. You needed to get out of there. Now, some people would make jokes and say, well, Denver is not a super team, right? It's not like he got traded to the Colts, which would have immediately skyrocketed their stock, right? No, that didn't happen. The Colts didn't give up nearly as much to get Matt Ryan as the Broncos did to get Russell Wilson, on top of giving Russell a contract extension, which we talked about last week. If you missed that episode, feel free to tune in. We predicted the Super Bowl, which... Uh, uh, we predicted our awards, which I usually get wrong anyway, but it's an interesting exercise. Um, and we talked about the Russell Wilson contract, so if you want to skim through that for it, it's a good uh, it's a good listen, I think. Also reported, Russell Wilson was angry that the team scouted Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. This one is weird to me. And I I get it. It's the job security angle, right? But Russell, you got to recognize you were brought in as a mid-round draft pick when the team had just signed Matt Flynn, a guy who they thought was going to be their QB. You take a look back at what they were paying Matt Flynn to be your backup. The reason he wound you wound up here at all. The reason you've had, you know, and look, who knows? Maybe Russell Wilson would have been a superstar no matter where he went. But situationally, with a great defense, and this team that was built around him with Marshawn Lynch, and then, you know, persevering into more of a pass-first offense, maybe persevering's not the word, but moving forward into it, it was a good fit. The system worked out for you. So I'm just saying, look, I get it, job security like I said, but... Patrick Mahomes was seen as the guy with the rocket arm. Who knows if they can piece it together. Josh Allen was seen as the guy with the huge arm and some mobility. Who knows if he can piece it together. I remember countless comparisons of Josh Allen and Jay Cutler. Right? I remember not hearing too much at all about Patrick Mahomes prior to the Chiefs trading up and picking him. I don't remember him being, oh, he's going to be the next Brett Favre. My point being... Is it possible that they were looking at your replacement? Yeah, of course. But at the same time, you got to recognize having a franchise quarterback 
on a team with an aging core, which is when you're looking back in 2019, the Legion of Boom had all but gone away, right? They knew eventually they were going to have to make this pivot. We're only sitting in 2022 September here, folks. You know, it's been a handful of years, I get it. But the next contract for Russell came from Denver at this point. I don't know. I can understand that one more than the other one. I can understand him being angry in a situation where they may be, you know, replacing him. Fair enough. But the other one, the MVP one, was a little odd to me. Number four in the standout seven, let's talk about Zachariah Wilson, who will not be starting this season. He is, quote, likely out until week four with a knee injury. Joe Flucco, Flacco, is going to start against the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, if we take a look at the Jets' schedule, because they're saying out until possibly week four, uh, maybe longer, who knows. Not exactly the games that you uh, you want your backup QB in. So they've got the Ravens in week one. All right. They've got the Browns in week two, which you can make the argument. And look, I'm not a Jets optimist. You can make the argument is winnable, is stealable, I should say, against Cleveland week two. Week three, you've got the defending AFC champs. Without your starting QB, that is almost guaranteed to be a loss. Week four, you've got the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh, which against Mitchell Trubisky with a good defense, could be winnable. Who knows? Week 5 against Miami at home. Week 6 against Green Bay in Green Bay. So this is not the easiest schedule in the world. You know, there are some spots in there that are a little easier. He's going to come back as soon as possible, obviously. You know, they end the year with two out of three games against the Jaguars, the Seahawks. They've got a Detroit in there. They've got Chicago, obviously, playing against the North. Um... I don't know. I think this is a relatively big one. Not that I expected the Jets to take some big leap, but it is New York. And when you're coming off of a not-so-impressive rookie season like Zach Wilson did, I mean, the guy played in 13 games. They go 3-10 and 10 in those starts. Um, nine touchdowns to 11 picks. 56% completion percentage. Like, that's just not good all around. Um, and considering across town, the New York Giants are also going to be likely shopping for a quarterback... You know, it's a weird spot to be in if you are the Jets. And that's one thing I don't know if if all markets get about the weird love-hate that New York team fan bases have with each other. It's more hate than love, I should say. It's constantly looking over your shoulder. It's, you know, Steve Cohen trying to steal headlines from the Yankees, which is reminiscent of George Steinbrenner stealing headlines from the Mets or whoever, right? It's the Knicks and Nets fans bickering, even though neither one of them was going to win the title. It's the Giants and Jets fans poking fun of each other, you know, even though neither one of them has been to the playoffs in a little bit here. Um, obviously, the Giants having the Super Bowls in the last 20 years gives you a little bit a little bit of a jab at the Jet fans who don't exactly have that. Oh, you got the AFC Championship games, but that's nice. But I bring up the Giants being in the market for a quarterback soon. Uh in my opinion, it should be sooner rather than later, because if the Jets miss on Zach Wilson and the timeline is expedited for the Giants, let's say they get Bryce Young, he wins Rookie of the Year next year, which I'm sure if you're a Giants fan, you're crossing your fingers and toes. Um, let's say that happens, and it happens in the same season where Zach Wilson, again, has a sub-60% completion percentage, has almost a one-to-one touchdown to pick, 
ratio, that's going to be rough. So for him to already start the season not playing, which was, you know, something they had to deal with before, combine that with the fact that it's going to be Joe Flacco out there against his old team, which, you know, maybe that'll uh, maybe that'll excite Flacco. Maybe there'll be enough, and supposedly he looked good in training camp. Maybe he goes for 275 yards, two touchdowns. I don't know. But how are they going to stop Lamar Jackson? That's an even bigger I don't know, in my opinion. So, had to throw that in there. Zach Wilson, who's, you know, a man of the people in the offseason after the stories that came out. And if you don't know, do yourself a favor, look them up. They're uh, intriguing, to say the least. But we'll keep it between the lines. Number five in the standout seven, and we're pushing through it pretty quick because we haven't started the season yet, of course. Technically, we've started the season for two teams, but we're going to get real into it next week with the standout seven. Um, Number five, Lamar Jackson's deal not done on time. Now, if you're listening to this, it might be Saturday, it might be Sunday morning, but as we're recording this on Friday evening, the deadline was supposed to be today. The arbitrary, no reason that it had to be imposed. Deadline for Lamar Jackson's contract extension talks. Reportedly, the final offer was either, you know, not as competitive as Jackson wanted it to be, or was rejected just for the sake of, I'm not interested, okay. Um, Which leads me to wonder... As a New Yorker, as you know, I mention every episode, I'm watching Aaron Judge have one of the best hitting seasons ever in mankind's history for the New York Yankees, who are somehow fading out of their division lead, which seemed insurmountable. Well, not somehow, but we can do that in another episode. But in a situation where he's in a contract year as well, there is no franchise tag in Major League Baseball, they have the qualifying offer, which is similar, but not really, because you still have the option to say no. Franchise tag, obviously, if you were to say no, you'd have to say no, I'm not playing, and then sit there like Le'Veon Bell did. Either way, um, are we going to see a more motivated, let's say, not to say that he's not normally motivated, but a, a more monetarily motivated Lamar Jackson maybe putting up one of these all-time seasons? Well, I mean, we just talked about his 2019 efforts. You take a look back at how he did last year, real quick, and obviously there was some injuries, so that's part of the the narrative. When you have a mobile QB, obviously, you're worried about injuries, but the touchdown production has dropped, passing-wise, every year. 36 in that first full season, 26 the year following, just 16 Last year, the interceptions have risen from nine, excuse me, from six to nine to 13. You take a look at the rushing, 1,200 to 1,000 to 767. You know, three less games last year, he might have been able to get to 1,000 there uh, to keep it relatively competitive with the other years. What would a Judgian season look like for Lamar Jackson? I am of the opinion, and this might be a silly opinion if I'm being honest, and if you think so, like I always say, in the comment section, if where you're listening has a comment section, or on social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C, let me know what you guys think. Always willing to engage in some friendly discourse, banter. I think it would have to lean, in terms of his production, into a more passing-oriented season than we'd foreseen. Because Aaron Judge hit big home run, not really the most shocking thing in the world. Aaron Judge hit big home run, and the average is still up, and the on-base percentage is up, and the fielding, and all those things. 
Like, if, if Lamar Jackson were to go out, and this is redonkulous, if he were to go out and rush for 1,500 yards at quarterback, that would be insane. And that would be incomparable, and I would say, with a fair amount of certainty, if he did that, you could hand him the MVP without seeing the rest of the stat line, unless it said 15-20 interceptions. Unless it was all meaningless stats, right? But even then, that would be an accomplishment that would be rewarded by the league, by the the voters in the NFL honors at the end of the year. For me, I would be more impressed. I don't care what the rushing numbers are. I don't care if it's 800 yards, 1,000 yards, 1,200 yards. It'd be impressive if it's higher. I'd be more impressed if he was a 4,000-yard passer. I'm not even setting the bar at 5. We have one additional game, obviously. We're on the 17-game circuit now. And eventually I'll stop saying that, but in my head I still think in terms of 16-game seasons. But 4,000 yards is a nice round number that he has yet to even approach. 3,127 is his career high. I'd also like to see him play in all the games. I think that'd be a big advantage, right? Preferably, I'd like for someone, if I'm going to pay them hundreds of millions of dollars, to play in all the football games. That's just me. 4,000 yards. We're talking, you know, interceptions, turnovers. Let's say last year he had the 13 picks. You take a look at his fumbles, he had six. If we could keep that number at or below 15 combined, and that's not all lost fumbles, that's just fumbles from Pro Football Reference here. If we can combine that to 15 or lower, and he throws for 4,000 yards, I think that would be fantastic. Granted, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, you can win with him throwing for 3,250 and, you know, running the ball like a menace, like he always does. Running the ball like a madman. Right With J.K. Dobbins putting up a 1,200-yard season. With you know Mark Andrews having 13 touchdowns and 800 receiving yards or something like that. You can win like that. I just think in terms of me, you know, making the comparison, guy in his contract year, the judgy in season would have to lean into some heavy passing yards. And uh, either way, I think Lamar's going to have a good year. But that would be really impressive, especially as a guy who's from day one, and you can go back to when he was drafted. We did an episode back then. We're in our sixth season. We've been around for a while at this point. You can go back, and I said, man, I really wish the Giants could have got him at the top of that second round. Yeah, I know what they say about his deep ball, but I think that passing part of him can develop. And here we are, and I've said it over and over. I don't think they've put phenomenal receiving talent around him, but sometimes you got to do more with less. Let's see what he does this season. Number six in the standout seven, and then number seven will be a little roundup here. Number six, let's talk about Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders reportedly hanging him up after playing last season with Buffalo. You know, 42 catches, 626 yards, four touchdowns at the age of 34. He's one of those guys that goes into, you know, they talk about, oh, the Hall of, the hall of Fame versus the Hall of Very Good. Yeah, I don't know, and this might sound a little mean, when at his peak he was very good, but I think as a career as a whole, I think it's just the Hall of Good. It's just a guy that had a darn good NFL career. I think this is a guy, in terms of his experience, that I thought could play on an NFL roster this year and play a little bit of a mentorship role for younger receivers. I thought he was a pretty good route runner, pretty reliable hands, especially when he was in Denver. I mean, you look at the peak in 2014, 101 catches, 1,400 receiving yards, nine touchdowns, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowler twice, Pro Bowler again two years later, 
with 1,000 receiving yards, just over, and five touchdowns. Guy that played on some pretty darn good teams. Guy that was a good number two weapon who had the number one weapon talent when he was on fire, you know, when he needed to step up. He made some big plays. Um, and really, you look around, I don't know if the guy ever played really on a bad team. I mean, he started in Pittsburgh at 23 years old back in 2010, by the way. Back in 2010, we're now in 2022. Four years in Pittsburgh. Five years, five plus in Denver, right? Then he gets dealt to San Francisco. Oh, by the way, that's the year they were 13-3 and and went to the Super Bowl. The next year he goes to New Orleans. They go 12-4. and Last year he's in Buffalo. I mean, let me let me just take a look really quick. I'm not sure, but I'm fairly certain Emmanuel Sanders never played for a team with a losing record. Two years in Pittsburgh at eight and eight, still counts. And I believe he crossed paths with sorry his his last full season in Denver. Two of them. There you go. So in the post Peyton Manning years, those are the losing seasons. Otherwise, I didn't know losing. He was just a winner. And you don't have to be a winner to be Tom Brady. Or excuse me, to be called a winner, you don't have to be Tom Brady. You don't have to be the guy that wins 15 Super Bowls. You don't have to be Charles Haley going everywhere winning Super Bowls. You don't have to be Robert Ory. He was just a good contributor for pretty darn good teams. Really good career. Really good career. And it's, you know, it's a little bit of a shame that... You have to, obviously, to get into the Hall of Fame, you have to be in the top 1% of the top 1%. That's what they say, right? Top 1% of players, maybe even more. Uh, maybe even a, a higher percentage, rather. Top 0.5%, whatever it is. But this is a dude whose career was pretty darn good. I don't know what's next for him. Will it be television? Will it be coaching? Will it just be hanging out with his family? Will he be getting a phone call halfway through the year when the Buffalo Bills are 8-0, or whatever, you know, rolling through the AFC... Will he be getting a phone call then, and they go, hey, Emmanuel, you sure? You sure you don't got a stretch run in you? And I was surprised, you know, we talked about it with Larry Fitzgerald a few years ago, obviously, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I was surprised he's not, you know, sitting by the phone saying, oh, the Cardinals are pretty good. Ooh, hold on, DeAndre Hopkins got hurt. Hey, you need me? Uh, maybe he's just having fun hanging out. I think he got his college degree, which is always nice to see players go back and do that and care about their education and such. Though, when you're a former NFL player of his ilk, not necessarily something that needs to be on the resume, but it's a personal accomplishment that you want. Um, Either way, congratulations to Emmanuel Sanders on a darn good career. Number seven in the standout seven, let's round up some things that we didn't get to, which are at least relatively noteworthy in my opinion. Uh, First things first, Jason Peters to Dallas to be their presumed left tackle while Tyron Smith deals with the hamstring injury. I think this is big. This is a guy that's been playing in the NFC East when he was in Philly for years. I think this is a big get for them. How much does he have left in the tank? I don't know. We'll find out. But I think this is a good get. Pittsburgh named Mitchell Trubisky a co-captain, which I guess presumably means he's going to be starting more of their games than I thought he would. But uh, good, good for Mitch. Give it a go. I mean, he's a guy that's been to the playoffs. Who knows? Maybe I'm just low on him. Um, Godwin on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers progressing towards a week one start, perhaps. Uh, 
Uh, injury last season, obviously, he's rehabbing from. We'll see. We'll get to the injury reports. Obviously, it's Friday night. It's not 100% accurate, but we do the show when we got to do the show. Make sure there's content for you all out there. So, we'll see. Um, interestingly, I had Zach Wilson may go week one. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um, the New York Giants are going to be getting play calling, excuse me, going to be giving play calling duties to their offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, not former Bills offensive coordinator, Brian Dayball. Interesting. We'll see how that shakes out. Obviously we had some issues last year with Jason Garrett play calling and then giving them up and getting them back and giving them up then losing his job, you know, um, Michael Thomas may be a go against Atlanta. Another injury one, which we'll get into. Sean McVay and the GM Les Sneed of the LA Rams getting extended through, I believe, 2026. Kind of an interesting one to me. Um, it's a It makes perfect sense. Now, do you need to tie the GM and the coach at the hip? That's kind of the NFL way to do things, I would think. Um, not necessarily in all other sports, but they seem to have chemistry. They seem to know what they're doing. Eventually, they'll run out of draft picks to trade, but that's someone else's problem, right? It's like the Sean Payton approach. People ripped him for it. Well, we left all these big contracts for the next regime. Yeah, well, it's somebody else's problem. That's not my problem. So, it is what it is at the end of the day. And, uh, yeah, another interesting tidbit here that I was going to talk about, but I think I might have missed it. Reportedly, Aaron Donald, or his agent, rather, had submitted some kind of documentation to the team saying, hey, you know... I My client is retiring. It's over. Uh, It was a good run. Thanks for everything. Send this to the league so we can start the paperwork. And to my understanding, the Rams simply said, yeah, yeah, we'll get right on that. They said, hold on, let's have one more meeting. This is how Chris Collinsworth put it, I believe, during the broadcast. We'll have one more meeting. And then the one meeting led to another meeting, which led to another, which led to a whole Brinks truck being backed up to Aaron Donald's house, him coming back, and them trying to make a push for a repeat championship. Probably the right move. Also, one last thing before we get into the pick'em portion of the episode, my favorite part, your favorite part of the show, for the first time this season, asterisk, obviously we picked the first game, but first full slate. Um, Just want to say, great job for Mike Tirico. I'm happy for Mike Tirico that he's back on the call with Collinsworth. You know, Collinsworth was good with Al Michaels, but I like Tirico a lot. And I, I thought it was, you know... A little bit of a shame he wasn't calling football games uh, as the lead play-by-play guy anymore. Now, obviously, it's hard to walk into a network that has Al Michaels and say, hey, I want to call games. Well, Al, I hate to break it to you, but... Excuse me, Mike, I hate to break it to you, but you're you're on the, the bench here, bud. But getting his opportunity, did a darn good job. Glad to see him back out there. Highly doubt Mike Tirico's a listener, but on the off chance he is, kudos to you, Mike. That'll bring us to the pick'em portion of this week's episode and we're gonna get started 0 and one we need a we need a winner we're gonna get started with the eagles against the detroit lions now injury report eagles not applicable at the moment as i said we're doing this late friday night we understand the difficulties we may run into um for the lions two listed as out guard tommy kramer with a back injury and d lineman levi on with a back. Shout out to me for getting that one. First try to start the season. We're in mid-season form. Doubtful safety Ifetu Melifanwu with a hammy. Questionable center Frank Ragnow with a groin. And linebacker Julian Okwara with a hammy as well. The Lions are a hot team. Hard knocks and the personality of Dan Campbell 
has made them a fan favorite for people that are honestly not really usually interested in the Lions, which is most of the NFL fandom. Um, that being said, I am picking Philly. <laughs> 100% of the time, I am picking Philly to win this ballgame. Give me the Eagles to win this one on the road. Next, we got a battle of two second-year QBs, one of which had to sit on the pine, one of which got some action. San Francisco 49ers head to the Windy City to take on the Chicago Bears. 49ers listing just two, guard Daniel Brunskill out with a hamstring injury and questionable big one tight end George Kittle. For the Bears, doubtful wide receiver Velas Jones with a hammy and questionable D-lineman Dominique Robinson with a knee. Kind of an interesting one to me, if I'm being completely honest. This is a San Francisco team that I'm going to need some time to really get a gauge for how good they're going to be. Because with Jimmy G at QB, I wasn't all in, really. Towards the tail end of the season, I came around last year, as it's been, you know... If you're around, you know. If you're not, I'll fill you in. Debo Samuel and the productivity there really pulled me around. I didn't know if Debo Samuel was good enough to be that X-Factor sort of wide receiver one hybrid, you know... I thought, ah, he's not Tyreek Hill, but no, but he's damn good. Combo that with Brandon Ayuk, who I think is pretty good. George Kittle, still one of the better tight ends in the league, though there was some injury things going on, obviously. The way their defense played was pretty darn good. They go into Green Bay, they win. All right, you got me. With Trey Lance under center, or more accurately, most times in the pistol or in the shotgun, I guess I should say, the explosiveness should be ramped up even more. So this could be... A pretty darn good offense, if I'm being completely honest. But at the same time, having Jimmy G looking over his shoulder might cause some iffiness for the kid. I don't know. I think he's got talent. I think he's a little raw. I think Justin Fields is further along. But Justin Fields has little to nothing around him on that offense. So I am obligated to take San Francisco to win this one on the road. Shakily, but I'll take it. Next, we've got an AFC North battle between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cincinnati Bengals from Cincinnati. Uh, Steelers, N.A. on the injury report. Bengals, going to be without tight end Devin Asiasi. Asiasi, excuse me. I think that's what I said. With a quad injury, questionable. Two more on the offensive side of the ball. Wide receiver Trent Taylor with a hammy. And another tight end, Mitchell Wilcox with an ankle. I'm a little concerned as to what the Bengals are going to get from that tight end position, considering there's no Uzoma. They bring in Hayden Hurst, who's a decent contributor. Let's see how the, they gel, they being him and Joe Burrow. Obviously, it's a receiving core with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I'm not exactly scared of their passing game. Uh, Lyle Collins coming in to try and help sure up that offensive line. You know who's on their defense, minus Eli Apple. Um, let's see how they do. I think this should be a relatively easy week one victory featuring maybe one or two gifts from Mitchell Trubersky. Uh, can, I, can I still call him that? Can I still call him Trubersky? I think I might. Let me know what you guys think. Technically, he's still Trubersky. He's just not a bear no more. Um, yeah. Give me the Bengals to win this one at home. Keeping the divisional theme... We've got an AFC East battle in South Florida when Mac Jones leads the New England Patriots to take on Tua Tonga-Vailoa and the Miami Dolphins. Patriots listing a few as questionable. 
Wide receiver Jacoby Myers with a knee. Wide receiver slash running back Ty Montgomery with a knee. Tackle Isaiah Wynn with a back injury. And two in the defensive secondary. Corner Sean Wade with an ankle. And safety Joshua Bledsoe with a groin. Dolphins also listing a couple of players as questionable. Running back Salvin Ahmed with a heel. Tight end Tanner Connor with a knee. D-tackle Raquan Davis with a knee. Linebacker Andrew Van Ginkle. Quote, not injury related. And safety Eric Rowe with a pectoral injury. This is an interesting one for me on a couple of levels. I was not super high on Tuatonga Vailoa last year. I thought he had a lot of game manager vibes, but I thought Jalen Waddle had a really good year, and he's got some explosive athleticism, and they bring in Tyreek Hill, who is, I guess, the reigning king in the NFL, although there is an Olympian floating around the Eagles roster. The reigning king of the NFL in terms of explosive athleticism. So, I guess, theoretically, let's see what happens when you mix two pretty darn good deep threat wideouts with a QB that's doesn't that's not really his strength the deep ball let's see what happens what I think is going to happen is there's going to be some growing pains but I don't think there's going to be enough growing pains to where I should pick New England to win this one that being said I will throw an asterisk on this one as I am inclined to do this is Bill Belichick against the Miami Dolphins and he always finds ways when Even when you don't expect it, Bill Belichick will find ways to bring home those W's. So, give me Miami, but uh, a little shaky. Next, we've got one of the spicier matchups of the week, and you already know who I'm picking. The Cleveland Browns, led by, I believe they're going to go with Brissett at QB, head down to Carolina to take on Baker Mayfield. The Browns going to be without Deshaun Watson for obvious suspension-related reasons. Corner Greedy Williams with a hammy injury, or rather defensive back. Uh, questionable, three on the offensive side for the Browns. Wide receiver Michael Woods with a hammy. And two offensive linemen Jack Conklin with a knee and Chris Hubbard with an elbow. Panthers listing just one. Linebacker Brandon Smith as questionable with a thigh injury. I'm taking Baker. This is the Baker revenge game. I was high on the Panthers. If you missed my NFC preview episode, go back and skim through it. I'm real high. Assuming Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, fingers and toes crossed, Panther fans. Assuming he stays healthy, I think this Panthers team could be really darn good. Will they win the NFC? I don't know if I'd go that far. I guess you could argue there's the potential there, but it's a stretch. Let me see it before I believe it. But I think what I will see is a pretty darn good game from Baker Mayfield this Sunday, taking down his old team. Panthers at home. Next, we've got an AFC South matchup between the Indianapolis Colts and the hosting Houston Texans. The Colts going to be without linebacker Shaq Leonard, artist formerly known as Darius Leonard, for those of you who missed the name change, with a back injury. Uh, questionable offensive lineman Dennis Kelly with a knee. Two pretty big ones. Uh, for the Texans, two injuries, both on the defensive line. Doubtful Mario Addison with a thigh and questionable Rasheem Green also with a thigh. I'm taking the Colts 110% of the way here. Not high on this Texans team. I want to see what Davis Mills can do in the sophomore year. Can he convince this team that he's a, a decent option at QB? I, he might be. If I'm being completely honest, he genuinely might be a pretty good option for them at quarterback. Um, that being said, 
I know Matt Ryan is a good option at quarterback, and Jonathan Taylor might be the best option at running back, or at the least, he's top three. Give me the Colts to win this one on the road and start their season off smoothly. Next, speaking of new QBs in new places, the New Orleans Saints, led by their not-so-new, I guess didn't finish the year, Jameis Winston, uh, led by Jameis Winston, head down to Atlanta to take on Marcus Mariota. New face, new place. This is a high draft pick battle, both of which on their, well, I guess Jameis is on his second team. Mariota, I believe he might be on his third at this point because he was in Oakland and then Vegas. Um, either way, the Saints head down to Atlanta. The Saints going to be without two on the offensive side, running back Dwayne Washington with a hamstring injury and wide receiver Traquan Smith with a shoulder, as well as cornerback Paulson Adebo with an ankle. Questionable, big one here. Uh, wide receiver Michael Thomas with a hammy. Reports were saying he's going to try to give it a go. We'll see. Uh, offensive lineman Landon Young with a hip. Safety JT Gray with a hammy. And also big acquisition Tyron Matthew listed as questionable with an illness. For the Falcons, two listed as questionable. One on the offense, one on the defense. Cornerback Darren Hall with a quad. And big time draft pick acquisition. Wide receiver Drake London with a knee injury. Going to be an interesting one. I'm going to take the Saints and Jameis Winston just because I think the Falcons are, are are fairly deep into a rebuild here. Maybe it's not that deep. They just got rid of Matt Ryan. So can you call it deep into the rebuild when the franchise QB just set down in another city? Maybe not. But in terms of personnel, I, I think they got a ways to go. Uh, and this is a Saints team that before Jameis got hurt, I kind of liked last year. So let's see what they got. Let's see if they can get off to a hot start with a win down in hot Atlanta. Next, we've got the game we talked about a little bit before. The Baltimore Ravens head to New Jersey to take on the Jets, led by former Raven Joe Flacco. The Ravens going to be without defensive lineman Travis Jones with a knee injury. Doubtful offensive lineman Ronnie Stanley with an ankle, and that's a big one. Questionable running back J.K. Dobbins with a knee and corner Marcus Peters with a knee. That is three pretty darn big injuries in Stanley, Dobbins, and Peters. Pretty darn big. Zach Wilson not going to go for the Jets, as we talked about with a knee. Dwayne Brown not going to go with a shoulder on the offensive line. Also questionable, two more on the line, George Fant and Connor McDermott, as well as two in the secondary, Justin Hardy and DJ Reed. I'm taking the Ravens. Like, come on. We used to do, what is it, the 60-second picks? That's your 60-second pick of the week. The Ravens play the Jets. The Jets have their backup quarterback in. The Ravens do not. I will take the Ravens. It's that simple. You know, maybe, maybe I've been thinking maybe we should branch into another gimmick. We got a whole bunch of gimmicks on this show. And look, if, if you're new here, <laughs> welcome aboard and pitch your own gimmick. But if you've been around, you know that's what we do. We've got the standout seven. We had the 60-second picks. We have things like that. We never did lock of the week, I don't think, or anything. But maybe we should. I think maybe we should do like a parlay of the week. I think that might be spicy. See if we can get some gambling odds. We don't have any sponsors, nor, you know, we're not pushing gambling or anything like that. I just think it'd be an interesting thing to throw in. Uh, I think we talked about it in the offseason. Sports betting became legal in the state of New York right before the Super Bowl. So it's one of those things that has found its way into my circle, you know. Um, just kind of interesting. Let me know what you guys think. Maybe we'll work that one in there. Uh, but I also think the Ravens are going to be working the ball into the end zone a handful of times more than the Jets are this weekend. Our final 
1 p.m. kick, and I would say you could save the best for last, but I couldn't get it out without a chuckle. The Jaguars, led by Trevor Lawrence, um, and notably not Urban Meyer, head to Washington to take on the Commanders in the first game of their team history, right? Technically. Uh, the Jaguars, listing just one player, Foley Fatukasi, on the D-line as questionable with a calf injury. The Commanders, listing Cameron Curl at safety out with a thumb. Questionable tight end Logan Thomas with a knee. And Cole Turner with a hammy. This is a hard one to pick. Because I, I don't think the Jaguars are in a spot where they can be a surprise team that makes a run. Right? There are some talented players there. They may have a good year and win maybe eight games. Maybe. It'd be hard, but they could do it. Eight games, nine games, who knows. Washington is in a much more winnable division, you could argue. Um, but at the same time, I'd have to be betting on Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz and me, in terms of picking games, don't necessarily get along. Looking at you, the very last time he played Jacksonville. His last game as a Colt was against Jacksonville, and his first game here is again against Jacksonville. I'm going to take the Commanders to win, but it's it's only because I haven't seen too, too much from the preseason or any of these things of how Trevor Lawrence looks in this offense. If Trevor Lawrence looks more like Trevor Lawrence, the Jaguars, I'm speaking, excuse me, more like the Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, the one who was the can't-miss prospect, who I think is still in there, then they should potentially win this game. I know the weaponry is not fantastic for the Jaguars, but Trevor Lawrence is darn good. He looked in Clemson better than Carson Wentz looked last year in the NFL. So if he can outduel him, now would be the time. I just have to see it to believe it. And I'm not sure how the Jaguars are going to shut down scary Terry McLaurin. I don't know if Logan Thomas is going to go. If he goes, he's a pretty big contributor. Give me the Commanders to win the first game ever in their home history. Next, we head to the 425 slate where we've got four games. The first of which we're going to discuss is an NFC North showdown between the defending NFC North champion Green Bay Packers and the team that Every year seems like they could win the division, but doesn't. The Minnesota Vikings. Packers, doubtful. Wide receiver Alan Lazard, which is a huge one, in an already depleted wide receiving core with an ankle injury. Questionable two on the O-line, which are also equally big. Uh, tackle David Bakhtiari with a knee, and lineman Elton Jenkins with a pectoral and a knee. Uh, for the Vikings, two is questionable on the defensive side. D-lineman Jonathan Bullard with a bicep injury, and DB Lewis Sign. We'll go with sign with a knee injury. It was going to go CNA, but I don't see an accent, so we'll go sign. Um, who am I taking in this one? I have to take the Packers. Even though with Lazard, if Lazard doesn't go in this game, I'm not certain how the Packers are going to matriculate the ball down the field. I, I want to pick Minnesota, but every time I pick Kirk Cousins, they don't win ball games. So. I'm going to assume the Packers are just going to run the football down the throats of the Vikings, and then Kirk Cousins will fill in the blanks, and somehow it'll be 27-22 or something. Give me the Packers to win this one on the road, even though I'm not necessarily sure how they're going to do it. 
Next, we've got another 60-second pick involving a New York football team. The New York footballers, also known as the Giants, head to Tennessee to take on the Titans. Two listed as doubtful, and they're big ones for the Giants. Second-year linebacker Aziz Ojolari, who impressed in spurts last year, pretty good player with a calf, and Kayvon Thibodeau, the big first-round pick, with a knee injury that he suffered during the preseason. Also questionable, safety Dane Belton with a clavicle injury. Uh, the Titans going to be without four players. Offensive lineman Jamarco Jones with a tricep injury. Two DBs, Elijah Molden with a groin and Lonnie Johnson with a groin as well. And linebacker Chance Campbell with a knee injury. Also, one listed as questionable, linebacker Ola Adeniyi with a neck injury. The Titans win this game. Um, do I think, this is a hypothetical for New York fans everywhere, do I think if you took Daniel Jones's skill set and put it into a Josh Allen offense, which is theoretically what's going to happen, right, with a little bit of catering, you'd hope, could it be good? Yeah. But Josh Allen runs like a bulldozer and doesn't put the ball on the turf. Daniel Jones gets hurt every season and likes to give the ball to the other team to make the game seem more fair. Um, no, in all seriousness, it's hard for me to envision. I think I'm going to have to see it to believe it, which is the phrase of the week. I'm going to have to see it to even understand how it's going to work because I'm not certain Coach Dayball knows what he's going to get out of Saquon Barkley because I'm not sure what he's going to get out of Saquon Barkley. I'm not sure Saquon's sure what he's going to get out of Saquon Barkley because the guy that played in that rookie season didn't show up last year. Granted, O-line issues notwithstanding, the O-line wasn't fantastic his rookie year either, but he made himself more of a factor in the passing game and things like that. Let's see how they work him in to this offense. I say all that to say, give me the Titans, probably by two scores. Next, we've got what might be my game of the week. Because I've got both of these teams fighting for playoff positioning. The Las Vegas Raiders head to Los Angeles, the City of Angels, to take on the Chargers. Raiders injury report listed as N.A. Chargers, however, doubtful. One on the offensive side, one on the defense. Tight end Donald Parham with a hammy. Corner J.C. Jackson with an ankle, which could be a big one considering who they're facing on the other side in Devontae Adams. Uh, also listing linebacker Drew Tranquil as questionable with a back injury. This one is a weird one. The game's going to be played in L.A., which means I guess you can give the home field advantage to the Chargers, but considering the Raiders were in Oakland for so long and they're only in Vegas now, they're not that far, I think this might be more of a neutral site game. I tend to think this might even be more of a Raider-friendly crowd. I could see this one kind of blowing up into a bit of a shootout. Um, I'm a little weary of the Raiders O-line. I want to see how that holds up. I mean, they cut Leatherwood the other week, a guy who was a high draft pick for them, and he just didn't pan out. So I'm not certain how this is going to shake out for them offensive line-wise. I think the pressure coming from Bosa and the gang that the Chargers have up front could be too much. Give me the Chargers in what's probably going to be an entertaining one. Remember, this is the... The same matchup that led to the last game of the year last year being oh-so-entertaining and befuddling and confusing. We can only hope for, you know, 
50-60% of that level of making you think about tiebreakers, uh, considering we're in week one, but who knows, maybe we'll get a nice game somewhere in the 30s, but I've got Justin Herbert and the Chargers bringing this one home. Our final 425 is, well, I mean, a battle of explosive QBs. The Kansas City Chiefs are heading to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. I don't know why this feels like such a weird matchup to me. I feel like these teams never play each other. Uh, Chiefs injury report listed as NA. All injury reports, by the way, I didn't mention at the beginning. I will next week. Uh, per NFL.com. Um, so shout out to the NFL for making an aggregate of everything. Uh, Cardinals going to be without wide receiver Rondale Moore with a hammy. Reminder, they're also without DeAndre Hopkins due to suspension. Um, also listed as out. Offensive lineman Cody Ford with an ankle and DB Trayvon Mullen with a toe. Questionable. Tight end Zach Ertz with a calf. Offensive lineman Justin Pugh with a neck. J.J. Watt always battling some kind of injury uh, with a calf. And corner Byron Murphy who is battling an illness. I'm going to take the Chiefs. Look, we if you listen to the other episodes, first of all, thanks for sticking around. If you didn't, I'll clue you in. We were doing our AFC preview and I said, I'm not sure about this Chiefs team. You know, they're in a really rough division. I think the Chargers are going to be good. I think the Raiders are going to be good. Well, are the Broncos spending all this money just to come in last? I don't know if I can trust a Cardinals offense without DeAndre Hopkins. I watched them in the postseason. I watched them collapse at the end of the regular season. I don't think I can trust this team without DeAndre Hopkins. I'm going to take the Chiefs. And look, this is me having never seen, not really... For an extended period of time, the Chiefs without Tyreek Hill. And this is nothing of a knock on Coach Kingsbury, but, I mean, I haven't seen you scheme it up. I didn't see you scheme it up last year. You have a QB you just re-signed to a big extension, and he had a, a watching film clause in his contract. Like, what the heck are we doing? You know what I mean? It's a little weird to me that we're going through all this and we're jumping through hoops. And then they had to remove the claws, and he blah, 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 blah. Like, the whole thing is a little odd to me. Uh, we, we can talk about that another time. I think we talked about that before, but if we even haven't, let me know if you guys want to hear about it. We'll, we'll go through that another time. But I'm much more confident in Andy Reid's ability, along with Eric Bieniemy and Patrick Mahomes, who I think is a superior quarterback. Travis Kelsey is probably a superior threat to anyone else that's going to be running out there for the Cardinals. I know Hollywood Brown is going to probably beat the Chiefs secondary deep a few times. Will he catch the ball? I don't know. I mean, in Baltimore, it was kind of a 50-50. Depending on the game, it was lower than 50-50. You know, if if I was a betting man, I'd say he'd probably catch a touchdown this game. Will it be enough? I don't think so. I think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs pull this one out on the road. That takes us to our Sunday night football game which almost certainly wouldn't have been nearly as interesting if Tom Brady did not come back. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers head to AT&T Stadium, also known as Jerry World, in Arlington, Texas, to take on America's team, I guess, the Dallas Cowboys. The Buccaneers going to be without corner Zion McCollum with a hamstring injury. Uh, Also questionable, as we discussed, Chris Godwin with a knee, still rehabbing and wide receiver Russell Gage with a hammy. For the Cowboys, no Michael Gallup on the outside, which is notable. They let Amari Cooper go. It's going to be Gallup and CeeDee Lamb. No Gallup in this game. 
questionable safety Jaron Curse with a neck injury. You got to take Tampa in this game, in my opinion. Um, do I think Godwin will go? I think it's a little too early for me to tell. Not having Gallup out there is kind of big, in my opinion. I, I genuinely think if you're going to let Amari Cooper go to show a vote of confidence in Gallup, Gallup's kind of got to be on the field for that vote of confidence to matter, per se. Um, no knocking him. Look, it's week one. It's okay. Injuries happen. It's no big deal. But it's, come on, it's so Dallas Cowboys for something like that to happen. So I'm going to take the Bucks to win this one on the road. I also want to see how Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore mixed it carries in that backfield. Because I don't think Ezekiel Elliott was really Ezekiel Elliott last year. Was there a semblance of injury? Was there a semblance of them pounding the ball and it getting to him? I mean, look, the guy crossed 1,000 yards. How much can I knock him when he ran for 1,002 yards? I mean, I can, because he played in more games, obviously, than ever, because there's 17 games, and this is a guy who just missed 1,000 yards in 15 games the year before. The two years prior, he ran for 1,357 and 1,434. He also had his lowest contribution in receiving yards since his second season where he only played in 10 games. Tony Pollard, in spurts, seems to be that dude. To use the modern colloquial, he's him. 130 carries for 700 yards last year. 1,000 yards between catches and carries on... 169 touches. Ezekiel Elliott, just rushing, 237 touches for 1,000 yards. Receiving, he added for another 47 to cross the 1,280-ish, 1,290 almost mark. Not a bad running back in the slightest, but he just didn't have that explosiveness. If he has that explosiveness again, sure. Another thing to look out for, the Buccaneers' pass rush is not bad. This is not a bad defensive football team, and they will not have, they being the Cowboys, Tyron Smith. Will Jason Peters fit right in? Will there be some growing pains? Either way, I think there's going to be some pain at the end of the day if you're a Cowboy fan, because Tom Brady is walking out of Jerry World at 1-0. Our final matchup of Week 1 is the spicy one we alluded to in the standout 7 the Denver Broncos head to Seattle for Russell Wilson's debut to take on the Seattle Seahawks. I'm under the impression that Geno Smith will be starting this game, if my information is correct. The Broncos will win this game. If there is animosity there, Russell Wilson will score three, four, five touchdowns. Um, I think maybe one through the ground, three or four through the air. There are playmakers on that Seattle offense that if they had, let's say, acquired a Matt Ryan, they might have been able to put up a fight in this game. Um, I don't think Russell Wilson is over the hill in the slightest, and for that reason, I'm going to say the Broncos win this one and win this one pretty convincingly for their new team leader. Next, before we sign off, you know we got to pick the Thursday night game. Obviously, no injury reports for something this far out. Same with Monday night. So, the LA Chargers heading to Arrowhead. 8-15, September the 15th, next 
Thursday. Who do I got? Well, I have the Chargers winning this division this year, and I have the Chiefs taking a little bit of a step back. This could be a situation where my pick realistically should be counter to what I am going to take. Here's the reason. I think the Chargers are going to have their hands full with the Raiders, and I'm not certain the Chiefs are going to have their hands full with the Cardinals. Not that the Cardinals are a bad team, but offensively, from what I saw at the end of last season, they are simply not the same without the consistency that DeAndre Hopkins brings to the table. It's not the first team ever to be inconsistent when your star player is out. However, I would have to see how the team is going to play over an extended period, because obviously it happened for a few games, but over an extended period, how are they going to work in Hollywood Brown's athleticism? Are there going to be more reverses? Is he going to play more of a Debo Samuel role? I don't know. Is it going to be like a younger Tyreek Hill role, where he wasn't outside all the time? He was working in and doing this, doing that in the third? I haven't seen, in my opinion, that level of creativity to make me think where Kingsbury would be able to do that. I think he'd have to grow into that over the course of the season as they're just trying to find whatever works. Um, that being said, I say all that to say, I think the Chiefs will have an easier time. So theoretically, especially coming home, playing against an opponent you know they're going to get up for, part of me thinks the logical choice would be to pick what I think is the inferior team in Kansas City. That being said, this is my show. And if you know my show, if you don't, I'll let you in right here. We we love our, a good narrative. So what's a bigger narrative moment than the Chargers going out week one, week two, and punching two divisional rivals right in the mouth? Give me the Chargers to pull off what I think is kind of an upset, even though they're the better team, and win on the road in Arrowhead on short rest. Side note, who in the NFL league office did the Chargers frustrate? Who did they uh who did they tick off here to where they got to play the Raiders in week 1 on Sunday and then they got to play the Chiefs immediately in week 2 on short rest? Uh, in Kansas City. We love to talk about the people that make the schedule. Maybe one day my goal is to find out who out there actually makes the NFL schedules. I'd love to sit down with them and just have one conversation and see if it's a narrative thing. Is it a, you know what, let's see what they got in them thing. Is it just a random number generator? Are we talking about a computer program? Do I need to talk to, you know, a Terminator to find out who's making these? Either way, the Chargers got uh, screwed over a little bit here, but I think at the end of the day, they'll be the ones laughing. Chargers 2-0. and That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode, episode number 140 of the Necessary Roughness podcast. Thank you for joining us. Join us next weekend as we break down the full slate of the week one NFL action. Hope you guys are all excited. Hope you're ready for the return of football. Lord knows I am. I cannot wait to hear seven hours of commercial-free football. Start now. Looking forward to it. Hope you guys are. Looking forward to having you guys join us next week when we break it all down. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.